We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. just been handed this statistic, and I think it's the perfect way to open the show. For the first time in history, England is going to battle France. This is the Arsenal Vision World Cup Daily. My name is Elliot Smith, the Black Man Twitter, Yankee Gunner. I think that is the statistic. Phil put it in the chat. Um, so for the first time ever, England and France will battle each other. Oh, no. No, it turns out that's happened quite a bit. But it is the first time in men's World Cup history that England will face France in the knockout stages. So uh, I had my history slightly wrong. Uh, it does say here that England and France have, in fact, done battle before. So I apologize for getting the statistics slightly wrong. But we are going to discuss how we arrived at an England-France quarterfinal, which, I mean, it looks tasty to the neutral, but everybody hates the neutral. And you can block this one on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Um, we're probably not going to talk much Gabriel Jesus or any Gabriel Jesus, but uh, over on Patreon, there's a podcast dedicated to the news and what it means and how to think about it and and what are the softest tissues to cry into so you don't get a chafed nostril? Um, we did talk about it on yesterday's World Cup Daily with Lewis Ambrose, and it will be part of the main pod that will be coming out tomorrow. So there will be plenty of opportunities to be miserable about that news. But today is about celebrating England and France and our own Bukayo Saka scoring goal as well. And here to do that with me now is Phil Costa. You can find him on Twitter at underscore Phil Costa. Hello, Phil Costa. Hello, Elliot. You had me in the first half there. Not going to lie, lie, but you managed to, <laughs> you resurrected it. <laughs> I was I mean, just ready did, to type something into the chat like, uh, did he get that wrong? Um, <laughs> I, did, I did get the stat wrong. It turns out that England have faced France on the battlefield uh, in the past, but mm-hmm. uh, in the World Cup, in the knockout rounds, they have not. And it is a tasty matchup. Let's not look forward to that first. Let's look back to the games that were. We'll start with the England game, of course. And no better place to start than win the lineup. Bukayo Saka gets his place back. And I have to admit, I've been rooting for Bakayo to start. I've been rooting for Bakayo to play. Given what's happened to Gabriel Jesus, it sort of dimmed my interest in seeing Arsenal players get their chance at the World Cup. And, and I have to admit that now I'm giving into the catastrophizing and fear um, and, and would like them all wrapped in cotton wool. But Bakayo did get the start. He did score. We'll talk about that in a moment. Um, but Henderson comes in and starts. Kyle Walker starts. He rung the changes. Phil Foden starts. Uh, now, we do want to send our best to Raheem Sterling and his family and hope that everything's okay. It turns out he had to go back to England. There was a home invasion uh, at his home, and he wanted to be with his family, which is totally understandable. So we wish him the best and hope that he can make it back to be with the England team if the situation warrants it. But uh, as a result, Phil Foden starts. So your thoughts initially on the uh, on the decisions, and one in particular that I think is interesting, which is the, the Henderson decision. Yeah, I mean... I think Foden may have had a look in anyway, regardless of of what eventually happened to Sterling and his family. So, you know, that didn't really surprise me because I think mm. as much credit as he's got in the bank with Southgate and with England, I think he's had a quiet World Cup so far. Um, so I liked Foden coming in on the left. I think he's much more effective there than on the right. Um, although I did expect Rashford to start, not particularly because he's better than Saka, but I just felt a bit of recency bias would have kicked in, you know, and um, after he scored that brace, you know, I thought the natural thing would have been to, to give him another go, but he didn't. 
Um, and, you know, all the better for it. I thought Saka, you know, took his chance and we'll speak about. Henderson was one I wasn't entirely sure about. Um, I think on paper, the starting 11 was was fine. But as we saw pretty quickly into the game, you know, the roles being asked of those players didn't really seem natural. Yeah. Um, so th- as the game starts, England's controlling possession, but it it wasn't convincing. And the feeling that I had is that there were sort of three samey midfielders, that there was no playmaker. And so... Jude and Henderson and Rice are all comfortable with the ball, all a little bit rangy, although maybe Henderson less than he was in his pomp. And so there wasn't a lot of access between the lines, I felt, between midfield and the final third. There wasn't anything really connecting it. The distances weren't great. And so initially, the sense I had was like, this midfield all feels to one note. Who's the playmaker? Who's going to break things down? Now, we will get to the player who wound up doing that in the role he played in the game. But early on, did he get that sense? And, and there were times it would come to the feet of a, of a defender, Phil, and they just stand there. There was no urgency. And I get it because this is not club football, right? This is This is knockout football. And so you need to wait for your moment to arrive. But the tempo was definitely um, soporific to, to start with. Yeah. Completely. I think there were two big issues. Like you said, one, the kind of the structure of the team in support of the the attributes, should we say, and the tempo. I mean, the tempo was dreadful. I mean, particularly the three of Maguire, Stones and Rice, too slow, too, too slow. You know, it was like toe on the ball, roll it around, back to Stones, then Stones, toe on the ball, back to Maguire, another really under-hit, slow ball into Rice, and then he's all of a sudden he's pressed by two midfielders, and then he has to go back. And it's like Senegal were just so comfortable there in their, in their mid-block. They put a couple of pl- players on Rice to, to stop the distribution coming from deep. And for some reason, there was just a huge vacuum in midfield. I mean, within Rice, there was nobody... You know, Bellingham was was too far out to the left and he was on, stepping on Foden's toes and Henderson was pushing too far to the right, stepping mm-hmm. on Saka's toes. And it was just this mess of ineffectiveness. And, you know, I didn't understand it. There was just way too much space in midfield. Um, and yeah, it just hindered the whole team. There was no cohesion. That, Like you said, the distances were way too big. Yeah, And that just, you know, ended up with a lot of rubbish, slow passing around, you know, Jordan Pickford and the rest of the back four, which, um, you know, didn't trouble Senegal at all. And, you know, their shape was good. They put kind of a 4-2-4 formation, which kept England really pinned back at times, but it was way too easy for them. Way too easy. Yeah, um, the distance thing was definitely there. And I have to admit, in that period... And I know I banged on about this a lot, and so I don't want to be redundant. No, I'm kidding. It's like my whole bit is being redundant. Um, This is where I can really see how a Trent Alexander-Arnold could unlock so much for England. And I get that you may not want to do that against France when Kylian Mbappe is raiding down that side. Totally get it. But in a game where the impetus is on you, the urgency is on you, the the responsibility is on England to create create the threat, Alexander-Arnold is like having an extra number 10 playing as a right back, right? His his distribution is so unique. So that that's something that I, I think would have been interesting to see, but we didn't see it. So let's get away from that for a minute, and let's talk about then some of the threat that Senegal posed early on, and most of it was self-inflicted. Giveaways, and to be fair, Saka guilty of one that nearly leads to a goal. Uh, mm-hmm. Pickford's save there is sensational i mean absolutely it's a brilliant it's a brilliant hand it it's very yep. neuer-esque you know it a was, strong hand you know it, it reminds me a little bit actually of the save is it emmy martin is a save that i'm thinking of at the very at the death from and, yesterday yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah it, australia I mean, is much mm-hmm. closer but it's a strong hand uh mm-hmm. outside the shots outside his body and it's a strong hand to keep it out but let's talk about mcguire because mcguire's you know I realize that he's been good for England. I don't want to lean into too much um, confirmation bias here because he's not been good for United, but he has largely been good for England. But there, that nervousness is just in his game. And I'm wondering, you know, looking at him and looking at that error, how much confidence does, does this guy give you? Because I don't think England defensively have been tested that much yet. They're about to get tested. And, and Maguire to me is still someone that I'd be very, very nervous about trusting. Yeah, I think he has been good, you know, but... 
we saw today that when we need a, a little bit more from him, as in bringing the ball out, making good choices, does he have some adventure in his distribution? I thought there was too much being placed on him today and and that's not his his natural game. I know he's competent enough with the ball, but when you're asking him to break the lines, it's it, it's not him. It doesn't suit him. And as we spoke about in the first 30, 35 minutes, there was just not enough options. I mean, Bellingham, Henderson, whether they were instructed to be pushing on that far, it, it, that could well be the case, but it just wasn't working. And there needed to be some kind of realisation either from Southgate and his coaching staff or all the players themselves. Just drop in a bit. Just You know, we don't need Henderson standing all the way there on the right wing. Just drop in a bit, give Rice another option. And then naturally the pitch opens up. But for some reason, it just wasn't happening. And like you said, mistakes, caught on the ball. There was one with Rice caught on the ball, another with Maguire, who was very lucky. Mm-hmm. I think that Bulaidia had a heavy touch because he could have been through on goal again. So they had the chances. England had the ball, Senegal had the chances. And I think, you know, ultimately the scoreline went in their favour. They ended up going into the break two goals ahead, but it could have been a very different story. And I don't think you could you could say that England didn't deserve that because they were really slow starters today. Yeah, but ultimately, it, it just was a case of a little extra quality being the difference. And that extra quality came in the form of Jude Bellingham. And it, it you start to get to the point where you can be laying it on a little too thick, but I don't think you're laying it on too thick. His balance, his range... His the versatility in his game um, really came out here, and it's his run down the left sort of left channel, left half space, and his his balance and his awareness and a beautiful cutback to of all people Jordan Henderson with a nice clean crisp finish. I will say the first two goals, both I, I think in Mendy's case, I have no idea what he's doing, and he looks totally finished, and it it's kind of amazing uh, from where he was, but. What's your take on how Jude Bellingham's extra bit of quality really took over this game and came to define England's dominance um, from what had been a really, as you said, nervy, shaky start? I think Bellingham is such a well-rounded midfielder. I mean, actually, he's perfect for this kind of modern era of football, which is very transition-based. I think he can do the defensive work, but for me, his superpower is an ability to break both through the lines and beyond them, you know, and... You saw, again, having someone with energy and leggy strides and real power to get through there really opened up the game for England. Because Harry Kane, I know that the common consensus was that this was a brilliant number nine performance from him. And and it was, but only in the second half. I thought in the first half, he, he wasn't moving. He was too yeah. slow. He's dr- He was dropping in way too deep. Um, and it was just kind of condensing everything. And... Nobody was willing to take that chance to go on. But all in in that split second, Bellingham does it and the game opens up. Koulibaly's left completely isolated. Diallo goes with Kane. And that's the game. That's the goal. You know, it didn't take anything special. Just someone to be brave and and to be willing to, you know, cause a problem. And and Bellingham, you see it for Dortmund almost every week now. He's added a goal-scoring touch. But I just think in terms of this England midfield, he's such a unique profile. Um... And the awareness to know where the space was, when to time his run, the cutback as well is really good. Um, and Henderson finishes it off and maybe Southgate can say, look, that's some vindication for me wanting to push both of those guys up further forward. Um, and you can't really argue against that. But I just think in, in general, the structure of the side was was wrong until that moment. Yeah. And then the moment comes, Henderson scores. I mean, it's vindication I guess for the selection I'm still not sure I like the balance of that midfield three but when the guy you bring in gets the opening goal and knockout round of the world cup like there's no more questions to be asked do you suspect that that will also mean as so often is the case hey we won and he scored he's going to keep his place in the next game I mean is that how do you feel about the Henderson of this performance and and obviously I think he does a really nice job with his run and to take his goal though I think Am I crazy that Mendy should be able to get down to that and maybe get a hand to it? I, I mean, he hits it, obviously, early, right away. It's it's arcing away from I don't know that Mendy's positioning is the best, but 
I guess what's your what's your take on on Henderson's performance in this game, and if it's enough for him to look to start against France again? I'm not sure. I think the goalkeepers are always second favorite in that position. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they kind of have to close the angle for the guy running through, but they also have to cover an angle for the guy in the middle, and it's just this you know, unwelcome halfway house and they either have to commit to one or the other or just stay in the middle. And he, he chose the option to stay in the middle. Um, and it's practically impossible to defend that. So I don't think the blame lies with Mendy. I just think it's an mm. excellent piece of play from Bellingham to open up the game, which puts stress on Koulibaly, who also has to make a decision. And, you know, it just needed that bit of, mo- that that you know, a bit of magic, a bit of penetration from deep, because there was none of it, really. I think Senegal was so comfortable in their mid-block. Um, they were kind of alternating midfielders who was going to go and press Rice, whether it was Mendy you know, or Cease. And it, it was super comfortable. Um, and that's not what you want from England because, for me, they're at their best playing quickly. And they weren't. But, you know, they finally cracked it in that moment. And then this, the second goal, you know, comes pretty quickly after. And by halftime, the game's over, really. I think it would have taken something pretty special from Senegal to come back. Um, but ultimately, Kane gets his goal. It's a great finish. Uh, I think Mendy is a little bit hesitant to, to come out and close the angle. Um, but, you know, you'd back Kane in that position nine times out of ten, and he's just smashed it into the corner. So, Well, I think Kane does provide a bit of a problem for how you want to set up if you're England. Because, you know, I was thinking about this. This is... These are like three sixes in midfield, essentially. I mean, maybe you can call Bellingham an eight. I don't think he's an eight, though, right? He's I, I would call Bellingham an eight. I think Bellingham's is it, an eight. Is, but like really box-to-boxy kind of eight? I, right? I think I mean, so. Like, I would say he's so. He's not a 10. Let's put it that way. No, And no, like, no. I guess what I'm trying to say is Kane likes to drop deep. He wants to get all the way to the edge of the final third and into midfield and connect and run. So like, if you play someone like a mount, if you play a, like a legit 4 2 three, one, you're sort of crowding out where Kane wants to operate with that number 10. And then if you play a 4-3-3 like this, you're really asking Kane to link everything together because there isn't a clear guy to be between the lines to to stitch things together and create openings. And I obviously Bellingham figured out how to be that guy and how to create that opportunity. He did it brilliantly. And I could see it working again. I mean, the funny thing is, I could see England being a devastating counterattacking team if they wanted to be, but you just have to change everything up. That's where I could see a mount being effective. I certainly think Rashford could come in. You know, you, you could you could try to really probe the space in behind higher lines if if you wanted to play, you know, if England wanted to play on the counterattack more, and maybe we can come on to that when we get to the France game. Once they get the second goal, it reminded me a little bit of the USA Netherlands game. The timing of the second goal is such that that felt like game over, but unlike the USA game where the US at least had a bit of a pulse in the second half, I think this game kind of went to sleep and it was pretty drowsy from that point. But at least we get the Bukayo Saka goal. I mean, you're not going to be watching highlights of it anytime soon, but how happy do you feel for him? I mean, I thought it was a somewhat anonymous game from Saki at a moment where he set up Kane and Kane skied it over the bar. He also had the bad giveaway. What's your overall appraisal of, let me say, the actual word I mean there. What's your, I, I was caught between appraisal and appraisal. Is appraisal a thing? What's your overall <laughs> uh, reaction to and evaluation of Bukayo Saka's performance? I thought he was fine. Uh, you know, he was very safe in possession, I would mm-hmm. say. But I, I think Southgate maybe likes that about him where he's very secure with the ball. He can ride contact, which is good. I think Rashford, for all his quality, can be loose in possession. So maybe it was just about him being an outlet there on the right, nice and safe with the ball, recycle when you can. And and if you can produce a moment of magic, you can do it. But I think, look, England clearly sorted out some things at halftime already when they came out. Henderson was was much closer to Rice from the off. And even Bellingham was coming inside, which made connections, you know, much easier between the defence and attack. You know, it wasn't so stodgy and and difficult. You know, distances were much closer and you could see that in how comfortable England were were able to control the game. Um, But I think the move is lovely. I think Foden does really well to break beyond Kane, rides a challenge. And, you know, in that situation, you'd you'd back him to find Saka. But I think it was a a really lovely bit of awareness from him to just do that, you you know, the delicate little finish. Um, Because he saw Mendy rushing out to him, but naturally as the goalkeeper, you'd want to go to ground in that position to try and stop the ball. But I just think it's a really deft... Um, little touch to kind of lift it over him, very composed. And that's mm-hmm. 
you know, it's what we're seeing from him. We're seeing a real coolness from him in front of goal, which maybe 12 months ago wasn't there. And I just, I, I think that's what you want. You know, you want to see these players improving in front of goal. And, you know, by then Senegal had completely lost their shape. And especially after making three changes at half time, they lacked organization. You know, the initial organization, which had served them well for the first 30, 35 minutes. So, look, they had their chances to score. They missed them and, and the eternal lesson of of quality rising to the top, you know, rang true. And I think they just ran out of gas. England were happy to control the game and, you know, they, they had one eye on France for the whole of that second half, basically. Yeah, I think that's right. And it's just crazy when you see the, you know, Raheem Sterling is a starter, whether he should be or shouldn't be. is beside the point. He leaves the camp. Who comes in? Phil Foden, who could be better. Um, you know, you look at the players that are coming on, like Jack Grealish. The depth, England's a weird team in a way because I'm not sure they have the best 11 that you can put on the pitch at any given time. But every single player they can bring off the bench could make an argument for deserving to start and be at the level of any of the opposition. And and that's that's why it's so hard to evaluate how good England is and how how far England can go. Because top to bottom, that squad is absolutely loaded. But you can't play the whole squad. You can only play 11 of them. And trying to fit those pieces together such that you get the best out of the ones you have on the pitch is not easy. And I guess I I, I commiserate with Southgate a little bit because what are you going to do? Play Foden and Grealish and Rashford and Kane and Saka and Mount? I mean, you can't. Um, I mean, you could. It'd be hell fun, but you can't. <laughs> um, so the question that I guess we'll learn, and maybe we'll learn it in the next round is, how valuable is depth in an international tournament when you can only put 11 guys on the pitch and and you're not sure you have the best 11, but you definitely have the best 17, 18, 20? You know, that's that's kind of the situation with England. Anything else you want to take away from, from the England performance? We'll do a look ahead to England-France after we talk France. So is there anything else you have on that? No, I, I just think, first of all, Senegal deserve credit to even be in this position without Sadio Mane. Yep. I thought their that's fans incredible. were brilliant. Um, they really brought a lot of color and vibrancy to the World Cup, and I and I really enjoyed them. They have a good young team, some good young players to watch out for. But again, it was just a matter of quality in the end. And you know, England have you know an absolute embarrassment of riches to to call upon. And and when you're a, a smaller, you know, minnow, shall we say, that's that's always difficult to keep up with. So the the, the better team went through, and. Hopefully that can be a, a point to build upon for for Senegal and even African football, um, because I think they've made a real statement this World Cup. Yeah, well said. I, I have to admit, when Sadio Mane was out for them, I thought that was it for them. I think they did themselves proud. Certainly, a lot of fun to have, uh, not just in the World Cup, but in the stage of the World Cup, and and a good job by them. So, let's shift gears to France. So, one thing we'll say in in a tournament like this, you don't just need the quality; you need the endurance because it is, especially in this compressed format, it is. Um, going to be an exhausting kind of uh, experience for the players. And so you want to be in peak performance. And the easiest way to stay in peak performance with Athletic Greens. That's right. We're back telling you about Athletic Greens and specifically their product AG1, uh, something that I take every day, something that I love, and something that has essentially replaced some of my coffee. I still do the coffee thing, but some of it for energy boost replaces a shelf full of vitamins and supplements, probiotics and all that nonsense. Basically, what is it? Okay, real easy. One scoop in water, tastes great. 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens. So it's the whole shelf of stuff all in one product. And you can target gut health, which for me was something that I was really uh, looking for, digestion, gut health, things like that, because it's basically a like a small biome right? Your, your gut is a bi- Anyway, you get the idea. Um, energy, which is a, a key thing, I, I think, for all of us. And whether you're someone who uses coffee or Red Bull or stuff, to be able to maybe tamp that down a little bit is great. Sleep, health, clarity of mental um, mental acuity, that kind of stuff. So it is, it is something that I really enjoy, and I think you will too. A couple of details about it that you're going to want to know. First of all, it contains less than a gram of sugar, unlike those gummies that everybody takes. No GMOs, no nasty chemicals. Um, it is... Uh, going to support lifestyle eating habits, he says, trying to use English. Keto, paleo, vegan, daily-free, gluten-free, you name it. It's less than a cold brew coffee at a fancy coffee shop every day. And uh, this is extremely, extremely highly reviewed. It's got 
thousands and thousands, over 7,000 five-star reviews. So do it now. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash vision. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash vision to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance bill. Is that enough of that? Indeed. Indeed, he says, mocking Clive Palmer. I could never. Or emulating Clive Palmer. I've heard it both <laughs> ways. Um, all right, Phil. France. Let me ask you this. If I fielded a team of 10 small cats and one Kylian Mbappe, how many teams in the World Cup would that team beat? <laughs> <laughs> Most of them. <laughs> Most of them. Most of them. Um, what can you say about France? They just, just didn't play great. Actually, if you want my honest opinion, they didn't do anything really very interesting or good. They gave the ball to Kylian Mbappe, and it turns out Kylian Mbappe is very fast and very good at football. Yeah, I mean, he burned Matty Cash twice in the opening 10 minutes, and I thought, oh, here we go. Um, I thought Matty Cash did okay compared to us. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, in, in the first half especially, I thought they were quite sloppy technically with some loose touches some misplaced passes under, you know, very little pressure. Um, and they were just a bit, a bit stodgy, a bit stale. And whether that was them just kind of managing the game, I don't know, or trying to figure Poland out a bit. I mean, I'm, that's quite generous to Poland. I don't think they're tactical masterminds by any means, but, um, you know, Poland had their moments. I thought this was actually their best half of the World Cup so far. You know, that's the bar was very low going into this mm -hmm. game, but they actually showed some attacking intent, you know, and they were getting Zielinski and Szymanski much closer to Lewandowski, which I think is more than we can say for the first three games. So, look, they should France should have been ahead. I mean, that the chance that Giroud misses is is one that he maybe won't want to watch in the highlight reels. I, to be fair, gave, I think gave Dembele, me Monaco, Monaco flashbacks for sure. Yeah, I mean, look, he should score because I think he he's there to get enough contact on the ball, but Dembele hits the ball really hard and he doesn't need to. He can just roll it across nice and easy, but he really fires it across. So Drew I can glared at him for it. <laughs> yeah. And he, you know, no man has a flair for the dramatic like Olivier Giroud. So there was a, a lot of shirts pulling and, and slamming on the ground. Rending of flesh. Yes. But you, you know, they should have been ahead. They weren't, um, but then it happened. <laughs> then it happened. History. We've all witnessed it. We've all witnessed it here today from one Arsenal icon to another. I say as Elliot grinds his teeth in the background. <laughs> it just, look, I can forgive Olivier Giroud for a lot of things and I can ultimately even warm to Olivier Giroud. And, and he wasn't, as people probably know, my favorite, but I, I've come to appreciate what he is and what he does. Olivier Giroud being ahead of Thierry Henry at something is just hard for me because it does not reflect in any way the comparative greatness of these players. But setting it aside, not being petty about it, it is a wonderful moment for Giroud. And it's not him scoring against Luxembourg to get the seventh goal in a blowout-friendly win. This is the opening goal in a knockout round game. It's an important goal, and he deserves the plaudits. And, and it's a good time to go break a record, you know? I just think it's, it's an incredible career he's made, you know? Um... He didn't make his his league earned debut until he was twenty four. That's you incredible. Know, after yeah. after spending four seasons in the second tier, and even one in the third tier in France, you know, and to and to to say that he's been there and done the and done the hard yards, and to say now that he scored more goals than Thierry Henry for France is is, is incredible. Um, you know, and it's it's just another note to how players can develop at different stages, different times. And, you know, it's a, it's a really nice finish, actually. The ball from Mbappe is excellent. The defending is not great, but I think there's a little hint of the Ozil bounce there. I'm not sure if that was intentional or not, but it's a lovely finish into the corner. And from that point onwards, I think any chance that Poland had of, of getting something from this game just disappeared, you know? Um, and that's not a slight on them. It's just it's just the truth. Yeah. Um, and, and in fact, Giroud was denied another Puskas award, wasn't he? 
<laughs> with the bicycle kick. <laughs> I don't. See yeah, I mean, actually, I, th- I thought the referee was was bad in this game. Um, Very. Bad. He booked Chuamani for a getting the ball in the first half, and he blew there for some reason when nobody was complaining about a head injury. I mean, if there was anyone that should have been complaining about a head injury, it was Varane and he got straight back up. So um, very weird to, to blow there. But, you know, it's, it was extremely uh, I, I thought he was, yeah, I thought he was out of his depth all night, to be honest. Yeah, he, he was pretty bad. Any any comment on Hugo Lloris, who like, he just does not convince me at all. I like the one where he just dropped the ball for no reason, almost. And then scrambled back <laughs> like a cat chasing after some tinfoil. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's done. He's done. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, there's there's some things that suggest that I think you could get at this French side. I don't. Is is it petty to say they weren't great in this game, but they just they they won comfortably thanks to the greatness of I don't want to say all Mbappe, but mostly Mbappe's individual brilliance. I don't think they were great, but I don't think they were bad. I thought there was a lot to like. Um, particularly in midfield, I thought Poland Antoine opened him up Griezmann, a little, like maybe a little bit too easily at times, or not really. Maybe, but I, they're just a very functional team, and that's what they've they've always been under Didier Deschamps. You know, he's not someone to lean into pure attacking vibes. You know, he's mm, very yeah. methodical, and what he likes to do is set up his team well so the attacking players can can produce that magic. You know, and 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 today he got it. In, in two incredible moments from an incredible player. Um, you know, the second goal was really, really good. Really, yeah. really good. Yeah. Um, you know, all of the front four involved. Griezmann is, is somehow deeper than Raphael Varane in his own penalty box. Mm. Um, makes a big punt upfield. Giroud does brilliantly to bring it, bring it down. And if you're a young player looking at how to execute a 3v3, that's how you do it. You know, yes. you pass out to the wide man, the central player, in this case, it's Giroud, creates space for the, the spare man. Then Bele finds Mbappe, you know, and it's it's finished brilliantly. You know, how how can you stop that? He gives, does he even give Chesney the eyes or does he just smash it so hard Chesney doesn't have time to gives, react? I think he gives him the eyes. I think he gives him the eyes. Is how yeah, because he, he kind of shapes to go to the far post and he just belts it into the near and it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's a lovely team goal, really well executed. The finish is brilliant. Um which is in stark contrast to the third goal, which is just a moment of sheer individual quality. Yes. You know? Yep. Um, cutting in, just smashing it into the corner. <laughs> I mean, Chesney gets a hand to it, but he's he's not anywhere near to stopping it. No, no. I mean, he'll hate that he got a hand on it and didn't stop it, but I, I don't think you could blame him for that. Um, and Anything you could see France changing or France might want to update or rethink, you know, ahead of their date with England? I mean, uh, oh, well, real quick. Thoughts on the absurdity of like a, a penalty and then retaking penalty five minutes into five minutes of stoppage time just so we can get Lewandowski. I mean, the, the whole the whole sequence was absurd. It's not it's not a penalty. Mm. I mean, Upamecano is moving his hand out of the way, and as he's moving it out of the way, it just hits him. Um, and then it's one of the worst penalties I've ever seen. And honestly, I have some sympathy here for Hugo Lloris because Lewandowski does one of those weird run ups where you never know when he's going to shoot. Didn't that, um, isn't that supposed to be outlawed, right? Didn't they try to ban stuff like that or I something? I think stopping your run-up is is outlawed, but I don't think he stopped. It's just very slow. Um, you know, and he, he is miles off his line because he's expecting a shot before, you know, and it's normal. And yeah, it was just a whole a whole lot of nothingness. Um, and it, like you said, it did just feel like they wanted to get him a goal. But I mean, just to touch quickly back on Mbappe, He's the first player in France's history to score four or more goals at multiple World Cups. And he's 23. That's you know, stunning. Yeah. Involved, now involved in more goals than any other player at the World Cup. And he's now on nine World Cup goals, as many as Messi and more than Ronaldo and Maradona. Yeah. He's 23. Yeah, it's incredible. You know, like, Giroud should enjoy his record while he can because Mbappe could touch 100. I'm well, genuinely I mean, the, serious. The only about thing that. that could keep him from touching 100 is like to get to the numbers Giroud got to, there's a lot of having to play against, you know, small nations in friendlies mm-hmm. or small nations in World Cup qualifiers where you're putting seven, eight, and nine past them. And like, not to take away from Giroud, but he's definitely benefited from that. And you wonder if Mbappe is going to be one of those 
play him when it really matters kind of players and the rest of the time he's wrapped in cotton wool. Um, it, it is also nice to see it on the stage because the one thing I'll say that's kind of sad, PSG is its own thing and without getting into the ethics behind that or the, the quality of league on, certainly within Premier League fandom culture, there's a tendency to hand wave, ignore, dismiss things that are done in league on. I think that's wrong. I think there are wonderful players who have played there and some of the best players to play in the Premier League have come from league on. But as a result, I think like Mbappe's achievements over there are somewhat just ignored. And there's this Holland-centric view right now because Holland, who was doing it in the Farmers League, is now doing it in the real league where it counts. And so all of a sudden, now he's legitimately the best player in the world. I think Mbappe is the best player in the world. And I think him doing it on the World Cup stage allows a lot of people who love to talk about Farmers Leagues see that he's good. And then you can get the whole meme of, are we the baddies meme? But it's like, are we the farmers? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is which is my favorite. Um, okay, so let's switch gears again and talk about the actual matchup. I don't know how to see it. I really don't. Um, I think I, I could I could see this going either way, France England. I really can. I, I've been trying to think about where the edge is, who has the edge, what it might be. I don't know how you live with Mbappe. I don't know that between the two teams, he is the unique player, that there is nothing like it. I mean, once upon a time, Harry Kane might have touched the outer edge of that level. He is certainly not at that level anymore. I think Foden and Saka and and Sterling, they're all nice players. None of them are in that caliber. So it's there's some individual greatness edge to France, but I think... I, I think that there are weaknesses in, in this French team. So I don't know. How do, you, how do you see this? I have a really hard time knowing how this will break down. I think it's a really good matchup. Uh, like you said, Mbappe is probably you know the best player on the pitch who is capable of producing something at any moment. And I Would you stick with Kyle Walker for the pace? Is, is that the I plan? think he might go with a back three, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he'll chuck Kyle Walker on, on the right side of of a back three and then, and then maybe get Trippier in as a wing back. Because I mean, even today, I know Carl Walker is very fast, but Ismail Asar gave him the run around a couple of times. And I think he needs to be a little bit careful, you know, um, coming back from injury. So it wouldn't, it really wouldn't surprise me if they go to a back three for that game. Um, Especially because I think if they stick with this formation as is, Griezmann is going to have a, a wonderful night against Declan Rice as the lone six because Griezmann's been playing an, a really interesting role for France, you know, this tournament. I, in the first game, I didn't think it worked so well, but they've really figured it out now uh, where Griezmann's just allowed to float. One minute he's helping out defensively on the edge of his box and then another time he's out making overloads with Mbappe on the left or Dembele on the right. And I think mm. Declan Rice could really, really struggle Um if they keep the formation as is because ultimately Griezmann will just sit on him and then England have no way to progress the ball. So I think they will need to make a change. It's a shame Ben White's, you know, unfortunately had to leave the camp because I think at right centre-back he would have been a really nice fit. Um, But it wouldn't surprise me at all. I think France are weak or weakest in, in the fullback areas. I think Teo Hernandez is an excellent attacking outlet. But defensively, he doesn't convince me. And Jules Kunde, again, capable, but he's he's more of a centre back for me than a right back. And I and I don't like centre backs playing at right back. I've just got a thing against that. And I think there's a way in behind him. So look, they'll be watching the tapes. They'll be analysing the footage. They'll be making their uh, their plans over the next few days. And I think it's got the potential to be a really good game. I think it will be cagey as most of the games are when you get to this stage in in a World Cup Mm. because there's just so much at stake. But I think in terms of quality and talent, they're very evenly matched. And I think it's a big test for England because I don't think they've been tested too much so far in the tournament. Yeah, and and again, I mean, it it really depends if you think think France are going to have more of the ball. I, I do think that there is an opportunity to play a little more on the counter if you think that's how you want to do it. And for me, that would bring like a Rashford into the picture. You know, I mean, I think in the England side, he's probably the best player for that kind of football. And mm-hmm. maybe that's reductive just because United tend to play it more that way. I'm sure like Foden could as well, but Rashford's got so much pace. He's in great form. And I think, 
I wouldn't do it one for one with Kane because you need the person who's going to set the man free on the counter. And that is actually something Kane is uniquely good at and suited to Absolutely. do because he does it for his club, mm-hmm. right? I mean, the mm-hmm. ball gets to Kane and he plays in Kulishevsky or he plays in Sun. So I, I could see going for Rashford on the left as a as a way to try to create more counterattacking opportunities. Yeah, I I I wouldn't have any issues with that. And I think you know, Bellingham has kind of nailed his spot now. So I think it's going to be, you know, about him, um, you know, him and, and Rice in the middle. If it is a three, I think Henderson, Mount, Foden could be equally capable in those central areas. But for me, uh, Bellingham has to start and he's not going to drop Declan Rice. So for me, those two are are in. It's just whether, like we said, he goes to the back three or not. But I like the idea of Rashford and... Like you said, he plays that kind of similar role for United at club level and Kane does for Spurs. So I think it makes a natural fit. Whereas today, I think there were too many players not doing what they're best at, which kind of led to that weird, slow opening 30. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I tried to sneak in a drink of my wine while you're finishing your thought there and didn't get to it. So I'll have to (laughs) throw it back to you quickly here as we look ahead to tomorrow. Uh, Japan, Croatia, and Brazil, South Korea. Let's start with Brazil, South Korea, because I think we can be quick on that. South Korea will go into that massive underdogs. They have a player who potentially can be a difference maker in Sun, although he hasn't looked great at the World Cup with the exception of the goal he sets up to send them to this matchup. Um, I think Brazil, from a talent standpoint, will be massive, massive, massive favorites. Martinelli starred for them in the loss to Cameroon. I mean, he was man of the match by a mile. And ordinarily, it's the kind of performance that makes you think, oh, he could make his way into the starting 11. But when the guy you're trying to get past is Vinicius, I just can't see. And it's not, look, you're talking to Martinelli's number one fan. Like, do I think he's better than Vinicius? All right, even I have to admit, he probably isn't at the stage of his career. But I don't think the, the distance is that wide. But I think in terms of reputation and, and stature in the national team, it is that wide. And Vinicius will come back in. But it also looks like Neymar will come back in. It looks very, very difficult for South Korea here. Can... Can they do anything? Is it is it down to Sun to to pick out their occasional counterattacking opportunities? Is that what it's going to be about? I think so. I mean, we, we've spoken about it, but I think South Korea are, are at their best when they have the ball. And against Brazil, they're not going to have any of it, you know? And you can say, oh, well, they can play on the break, but I think Brazil are excellent defensively, particularly with Marquinhos, Thiago Silva, and Casemiro. I mean, that little triangle is you know, is about as good as it gets defensively in this tournament. So they're going to have a really difficult time, not just facing wave after wave of attack, but also being able to do something when they have the ball, Mm. you know, and look, they've got talented players. I'm not doubting that, but I just think the golfing quality is huge, particularly if Neymar's back. Um, I don't think Martinelli will displace Vinicius. I think you know, Vinicius has has kind of nailed that starter spot and he's already got a couple of goals in the tournament. Um, or is it one goal? One goal in the tournament. But I think he's mm-hmm. played well enough not to, to be dropped. But I think Martinelli has pushed himself up the pecking order, for sure. I think he's probably attacking sub number one now. Um, you know, whereas let's say before, this is nil-nil you know, at the hour. Mm-hmm. And Vinicius has been peripheral. Is there a chance he'd come on from right? Because, like, I guess on the other flank, if 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 Martinelli was a right winger, or regarded, I mean, he can play both flanks, but he's not regarded that way in the Brazil side. If he was a right winger, I'd say he's got a good chance to play because I don't think Rafinha has impressed particularly. And I think the first sub, if it's nil nil at sixty minutes, will probably be a Rafinha replacement. If I had to guess, assuming Rafinha starts. But with Vinicius, I just think there's such a belief in that player that it's going to be hard for him to get on around him. Do you, do you assume that it'll be, by the way, Richarlison, Vinicius, and, and Rafinha to start? I would say so, yeah. Um, and obviously, if Neymar's fit enough to start, he'll be as the number 10. But if he's not, then it will be Rodrigo. So, look, Chite likes Anthony. You know, he he was the kind of the manager so that gave why? him... Yeah, he was the one that gave him his breakthrough... Um, at Corinthians, you know, it's they have a, a history together. <sighs> I mean, I, I think Martinelli's done himself a big favor in that game against Cameroon. I really do. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he stayed on for 90 minutes is is even more belief in that because I think he he could have taken him off, but he didn't. Whereas Anthony was taken off. Um, Jesus obviously was taken off, but, you know, we found out part of the reason why. Mm. 
Um, but in, in general, I just think Brazil too strong across the whole pitch. Maybe not the typical Brazil that we know and expect, you know, the swashbuckling attacking football with rainbow flicks and all that stuff. Um, but they're a very functional side with quality when they need it. So I don't give South Korea much of a chance here. But if they are going to 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 have one, any kind of chance, I think Son has to really step up um, because I don't think he's done it enough in this tournament so far. And again, reiterating my point about Mbappe playing for PSG with Neymar playing for PSG, I think that there's, oh, he's a roll around in the ground merchant. He's not that good. He's overrated. I think Neymar is... If it's if Mbappe is not the best player in the world, it might be Neymar. He is that good. He is not regarded as such. I've never understood why he's not regarded as such, other than the fact that he left Barca to go to PSG and he does roll around on the floor quite a bit. But like when he's not doing that, he's really, really good. And I, I think we will see a Brazil team that is buoyed. Sorry, Boyd. Boyd. Buoyed. That's how I say it. You can say it however you like. It is such a, it, it's unbelievable the debate that that engendered. I mean, people got furious at me for the buoyed thing, but I'm going to tell you something. In America, it's buoy, like it is. Because, like, if I said to you, "Oh, Phil, look at that boy floating in the water," what are you picturing? I mean, you don't have to. You know that maybe. That's, I mean, that's the question sounds weird it, when I say it. That it's way. contextual, right? You know, mm-hmm. if uh, you know, I, I, I'd say boy, buoyed. If you're in a motorboat and you're motorboating in the water and you're going real fast (laughs) and someone from the front of the boat shouts, you're going to hit a boy. Like, I think it's important to know, do you mean a boy or a buoy? Because if it's a buoy, you could be okay hitting a buoy. If it's a boy, you want to make sure you don't do that and you need to take evasive action. How are you supposed to know from context context, if someone at the front of the boat screams back to you, (laughs) oh my God, you're about to hit a boy? It's a fair point. But, you know, maybe I, you're in a situation where you can tailor to your audience, you know, um, the whole aluminium, aluminum thing, you know, get yeah, some but, centigrade out there but, in, for Fahrenheit. But like, there's not a situation where if I say aluminium or aluminum, you don't know what I'm talking about. There's a genuine problem that in an emergency, if I use the word boy, I have not made myself clear. This is, this is going to happen. But it's just, it's just that, you know, it doesn't, doesn't it help that you, it could be a, a buoy or a boy, you know? That's just, uh, you know, gets your senses even even more heightened, you know, at the double possibility. I think if you can avoid a homophone, you want to because they create ambiguity. <laughs> and you know, if there's one thing I hate in language, it's ambiguity. Um, I feel Japan, like that should have run into an ad. You know, <laughs> and that's that, why. <laughs> that whole segue. Bill's Boys. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's that thing. If I say, hey, go to the website now and buy a boy on Bill's Boys, then I hope you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> right, and it's it's a buoy, um, clearly. Um, anyway, anyway, this has gone to such a weird, dark place, and like not intended to be. Um, Japan, Croatia. This this is fun. I feel like because this is the kind of thing we don't really have the knockout round. Not to say that Croatia isn't like a strong side, but I think there's some balance here. I don't think there's a clear sense of who's going to come through this. Um, it's it's kind of a unique matchup. And what I'm really curious to see is, does the Japan coach do what he's done all tournament, which is keep his best player, you know, keep his powder dry, keep his best players on the bench, try to get through a half of keeping it tight, keeping the score down, staying in the game, and then unleashing them fresh in the second half to presumably run at slightly more tired legs and make a difference. Do you think we'll just see the same plan that's worked so far? Why not? I mean, it, it's it's a really interesting case because I think in football, there's always been an idea of super subs. Mm-hmm. Um, but to do it with this much regularity, I think Moriyasu has taken a big leaf out of the, you know, or a big page out of the book of American sports where starters and finishers have a much more defined role. You yeah, know? it's more of a um, And I think, you know, I haven't understood it at times, but they've also done it and come out with the results they wanted. So it's about whether he thinks this is sustainable or not. And I think Croatia have improved as the tournament have gone on, but I don't think they're Spain or Germany, you know? And will he be tempted to be a little bit braver than just having, you know, some forwards who will run around a lot in the first uh, in the first half? Because I think... Matoma, Kaoru Matoma in particular, has been a huge player for them in this tournament. And I would like to see him go from the start. Why what what's you know, what's holding him back there from from playing from the start? 
Um, I think Tomiyasu as well will be back. He spoke today about being ready for 90 minutes. So that's something to to keep an eye on with the Arsenal interest and also mm. an interest in his hamstrings. Um, but I don't know. I just think Japan have more about them than to be kind of second half FC because you're playing with, with margins like that. Because let's say Croatia put three past them in the first half. You know, it doesn't work to bring on four players at half time because you're already out of the game. So I just think there's potential for them to be a bit braver here. Croatia, look, we know they're very strong in midfield. Modric, Brozovic, Kovacic, you know, that's three of the best midfielders in in Europe, uh, let alone in this tournament. So, and I think they've looked stronger defensively. I mean, Joško Guardiol at the back has been a bit of a sensation. Um, and it's, you know, no surprise to see him being linked with such such huge figures. I mean, Chelsea tried to bid 90 million for him in the summer. So, you know, it's a very even game in my eyes, which which is fun, it's exciting. Um, I have a little soft spot for Japan because I just think they're fun. I, they, they play football when everyone's on the pitch, how I like football to be played, hmm. which is probably how I grew up kind of molded by Arsene Wenger in that sense of all the technical players and just get them on as as much as you can. Um, but yeah, it's a very even game for me and it, it depends on how Japan set up because I know how Croatia are going to set up. Um, but for me, it's how Japan feel on the day and that's going to dictate how this game goes. Yeah, well, it will be interesting and I, I whoever wins that gets a date with Brazil. Um, I think Brazil-Croatia could be fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brazil, Japan can be fun. Whatever it is, it'll be fun. Uh, the World Cup has been fun. Today, we didn't get drama. We got brilliance, and brilliance can be great too. Uh, hope tomorrow we get a little more drama. Maybe a combination of the two. We'll see. We'll leave it there. There'll be a regular Arsenal Vision podcast out tomorrow. If you're listening to this on Sunday, it'll be out on Monday, um, as well as a World Cup daily. So your cup runneth over, so to speak. And there's some Patreon content headed your way as well if you're signed up over there. And if not, there's a um, freakout session about the Jesus news that's up and you can listen to that as well. But I'm sure it will uh, be covered more than once on this here podcasting platform. And once again, thanks for coming on this World Cup journey with us. Hope you're enjoying it. And as always, I am indebted to the wonderful contributions of Phil Costa. You can find on Twitter at underscore Phil Costa. Hello. uh, Thank you, Phil Costa. (laughs) <laughs> hello to you too Elliot <laughs> you know, thank you so much maybe thank it's you. like aloha very kind hello and goodbye right yes uh, no see you tomorrow I'm excited I'm ready ready for all the football to keep continuing all the football it's all happening um, all the time it never ends it is the football literally. is never ending it will never be finally decided again Mitchell and Webb look it up we love you and we'll talk to you after your country 10 other country no. 